KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Tuesday, May 10th, seeing double on the primary ballot. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. California regulators will hold off on rewriting the state's solar market rules until at least July. In a decision released on Monday, the California Public Utilities Commission asked for more input. They want additional testimony on fixed solar fees, the price of excess electricity, and community solar projects. Solar advocate Bernadette Del Chiara says the process is moving forward. The Public Utilities Commission on the bright side is acknowledging that this is a very important decision, especially in light of all of the current events and that they have to get it right. Comments will be accepted through June with a decision by July at the earliest. Two researchers from UC San Diego were elected to the National Academy of Sciences on Monday. The academy is charged with providing independent and objective advice to the nation on matters of science and technology. Neurobiologist Yishi Jin and molecular biologist James T. Katanaga were elected by their peers to join the academy in recognition of their distinguished and continuing achievements in original research. San Diego-based King Graphics will pay out over $250,000 in overtime wages and damages to affected workers in a wage theft settlement. King Graphics is a silk screening and embroidery business that provides merchandise for high-profile music artists. The U.S. Department of Labor announced the settlement on Monday. The agency said an investigation found that King Graphics workers didn't receive their required time-and-a-half rate for overtime hours. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. for the June 7th gubernatorial primary election are being sent out this week. But when San Diegans open them up, they'll find the Assembly District 80 seat is on there not once, but twice. KPBS Speak City Heights reporter Jacob Ayer explains why that is. After Lorena Gonzalez stepped down from her Assembly District 80 seat in January, a battle to represent San Diego's South Bay got underway. First, there was a special election primary on April 5th. No candidate got the majority vote, so now there's a runoff on June 7th. That's the same day as a separate general election for the same seat. Yes, it's confusing. There will be approximately 250,000 voters in the county that will have two assembly district contests on their ballot. San Diego County Registrar of Voters Cynthia Paz explains how this will work. One will be the general election for the 80th assembly district for the remainder of the current term. So it's electing someone to fill the seat for the remainder of this current term through December of 2022. The second contest, a state assembly contest, will be for the new term beginning December 5th of 2022. 
So voters will vote twice, once for a candidate for June through December, and then again for a candidate to go on to the November general election. The November winner will then represent the district for the next two years. For the June through December term, Democrats Georgette Gomez and David Alvarez are the only two candidates competing head-to-head. -head. Meanwhile, the standard election primary will include the two Democrats, as well as a pair of Republicans, Lincoln Picard and John Vogel Garcia. Southwestern College professor of political science Phil Sines says whoever wins the special election will technically run as an incumbent in the November general election. They both have terrific name recognition. They have the political machinery in place. I would say that those are other factors to be considered. But yes, I think um, it, there is an advantage, especially if they're able to use that time wisely and uh, generate enough positive publicity during that time period. To further complicate matters, people who lived in the 2011 district boundaries can vote for the special election candidates. But the standard election primary is only for those who live in the updated 2021 district boundaries. So some folks may not be able to vote for both. On the ballot for the 80th Assembly District, we have in parentheses special runoff to fill vacancy, which is separate from their regular, the primary election for the new term of the whatever assembly district they reside in now. Again, the top two vote getters in the standard primary election this June will head to a November general election. Sign says even though the two Democrats are the most likely to be on the November ballot, it's the Republican and independent voters who may make a difference. Because there was 9,000 votes in the previous election that went to the one Republican that was running. So who's going to get those 9,000 votes? Uh, who's going to get the other Republican votes when they vote again in November? And it may come down to Republican voters deciding the election as much as it does for Democrats in that district. Now, ballots are on their way to voters. So the week of May 9th, you should expect to receive your official ballot in the mail. On that same day, we will have nearly 132 drop-off locations open across the county. Paz says the county will also have 219 voting centers open starting on Saturday, May 28th. Results in both contests will be certified 30 days after the June 7th election. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News. For more election coverage, go to kpbs.org slash voter hub. There you can enter an address or zip code to explore a comprehensive ballot guide with all of the candidates and measures in your district and related news coverage. The chair of the San Diego County Democratic Party is taking a leave of absence from his position amid allegations of sexual assault. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen has more. Will Rodriguez-Kennedy said on Facebook last week that an ex-boyfriend had made false accusations against him, without going into further detail. His post came after Tasha Williamson, an activist who counseled the accuser, called on Rodriguez-Kennedy to make the accusations public. Williamson told KPBS the accusations involved sex while the accuser was intoxicated and incapable of giving consent. The district attorney's office confirmed it's reviewing the case. The party's ethics committee is also conducting an investigation into the matter. That committee's members are appointed by Rodriguez Kennedy himself. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News. 
Leaders from San Diego County and Mexico held a joint celebration on Monday of the newly expanded Tijuana International Airport. KPBS race and equity reporter Christina Kim says leaders expect the additions to attract more tourism and greatly reduce wait times for passengers using the cross-border express. Beginning as early as Tuesday, travelers crossing from San Diego County into the Tijuana International Airport on the Cross-Border Express, or CBX Bridge, will be greeted by an all-new $100 million facility. As you cross southbound, you will be in a new facility that is adding uh, more immigration boots, doubling the capacity of customs inspection, and also adding four times the capacity of airline uh, ticket counters. That means passengers can check their bags in Mexico and reduce lines stateside. Passengers like Logan Creighton of San Clemente. We caught up with her as she was waiting in line to check in bags for an annual family trip to Mazatlan. She's used CBX before and is excited about the easier process. To go through customs now before we get to Mexico is great. And it's like the easiest thing. You just go through it. It feels like you're at an airport terminal. The airport expansion was funded by the Grupo Aeroportario del Pacifico, which operates at Tijuana International Airport. It's expected to reduce wait times by 30 to 40 percent, with the goal of making CBX crossings a maximum of 25 minutes. Guillermo Mir of Orange, California, has used CBX at least 20 times before and also applauds any and all expansions because of the number of people using CBX. But he says the wait times for the U.S. side are still too long. Jorge Goytortua is the Cross-Border Express CEO. He says they're already at work on improving the northbound experience, especially as they anticipate 4 million people to cross the CBX bridge this year alone. Right, so we added more boots here in CBX. Uh, just in February, we opened the new, uh, expanded our new facility, and we have up to 14 inspection, uh, 16 expansion boots, inspection boots from eight that we have in the in the past. We're bringing more officers soon to also uh, help the the demand that we're seeing from our customers. The expansion also includes two new boarding gates and has added several new flights, making it the best connected airport in Mexico for domestic travel. Christina Kim, KPBS News. Coming up, a wearable monitor can now help people with diabetes continually monitor their blood sugar, doing away with finger prick testing. We'll have more on that next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. San Diego scientists have designed a wearable glucose monitor that could become a way for people to check a lot more than just their blood sugar. KPBS science and technology reporter Thomas Fudge has the story. 
Farshad Tehrani is a nano-engineer at UC San Diego who led the team that developed the glucose monitor. He says his mother was a type 2 diabetic who had to draw blood to test her blood sugar. And this finger pricking was such a, a difficult thing for her to do. And I could see the pain in her eyes. And I was like, I'm going to do something about this. He and his partners created a microneedle patch, currently about the size of a short stack of quarters. It's placed on the body and its tiny pins just barely enter the skin to continually test for glucose, alcohol, and lactate. The UCSD team says their glucose monitor is different from similar ones because it's minimally invasive and tests for other substances. I can tell you this is just the beginning of this story. Electrochemical engineer Hajir Taimurian also developed the monitor. We're gonna take this to the next level. Adding more biomarkers and creating what they call a lab under the skin so people can monitor their health at home. For now, the UCSD team has published a paper about their research in the journal Nature Biomedical Engineering. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. In a recent episode of the Parker Edison Project, host Parker Edison dives into the world of work slang and how different occupations utilize and develop their own lingo. Through a conversation with a black female pilot, he uncovers the language that pilots use across the world. And he also explores the push for more diversity within the field of aviation. Here's an excerpt from that episode. Work slings created with the goal of increased precision and efficiency. It fills in the gaps and saves us time by conveying big ideas. Made purely by necessity, it can only exist if it's truly useful. Some professions have so much lingo, it has its own name like legalese, the language lawyers use. In this context, familiarity with a certain job vernacular speaks to a worker's experience in that field. Few fields exemplify this as thoroughly as one that defies gravity. My next guest is proving the sky is not the limit. She's a fly girl in the most literal sense. Let me introduce you to Anne-Marie Berry. I'm speaking with Anne-Marie Berry. How are you doing this morning? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. We're very lucky. The whole episode is about languages. Before I get into that, what I want to know, often people name their boats. Is it, is it traditional to name planes? That's a great question. Boats are actually my second favorite thing outside of airplanes. Funny enough, I would love to own a boat one day in addition to an airplane. So I already have a name picked up for my boat. Besides that, no, people do not traditionally name their airplanes. No, not that I'm aware of. Okay, okay. And I, I gotta ask, where are you from? I am originally from Guinea, West Africa. So both of my parents are Guinean. I was raised in France. And now I live here in Atlanta, in the United States. What's what's your favorite dish in Atlanta? I have to say it's probably collard greens. Hey yes, now. yes. Okay. I also love to cook outside of uh, aviation. So I picked up a few southern dishes that I really do enjoy making. Yes. So collard greens would be my favorite. And I've learned to make it quite 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 well <laughs> hey now i'm not mad at that in fact i'm jealous i'm jealous yeah. low key yeah yeah right tell me who who are the sisters of the skies it is an organization of black women pilots we want to focus on bringing the number of black women pilots specifically up it's not that many of us and we just have this movement going on where we want to see more of us you know 
flying with us. Not that you should have the exact numbers, but roundabout, what percent of American pilots are women of color? So the percentage itself is less than 1%. Ooh. But what does that mean? To put mm -hmm. it into perspective, out of 660, about 660,000 pilots in the U.S. actively flying, there are 104,000 that are considered commercial pilots, meaning that they have earned a commercial pilot license, which I am one of those 104,000. And out of those 104,000, there are less than 200 black women pilots. Wow. So I'm sitting in rare space getting to speak with you today. Yes, indeed. You are indeed. Yes. So less than 200 black women pilots in the U.S. I had no idea that. I'm floored. Right. Well, think about it this way, Parker. You fly, right? You get places. How many times have you come across a black pilot? All the times that you've been at the airport, event, you know, on the airplane. How many times? You can't even think of one, right? No, I really can't. I really right. can't. Even for myself, as a black woman, it took me until I met Sisters of the Sky to ever see a black woman pilot, right? And this was in 2018. I had just started training as a pilot. And I've spent my childhood traveling with my family all over. What, what sparked your personal interest in flight? I was 11 years old, actually still living in Guinea. My parents uh, sent me and my brother on a trip to Dakar, Senegal. And on that particular flight, it was the first time that I actually took a step back because we actually boarded on the tarmac. So I got to see, walk up to the airplane, walk up the stairs and actually see the airplane. It was a Boeing 737. <laughs> I didn't know that then as an 11 year old, but I just remember just being just all about how big this thing was. Of course, my mind started going, how are we up here flying? And the whole flight, I was just thinking and thinking. And of course, just like any childhood dream, it kind of died for a good bit until I moved to the U.S. in 2009. And um, I revived my, my dream and I joined, uh, became a flight attendant working uh, in aviation. And I told myself, well, let's see, you know, I want to travel. I've been wanting to travel since I was 11. Let's see where this goes. And the first few trips that you do, there are training trips, right? So you go with more senior flight tenants, they kind of show you around. So I remember walking up inside the airplane and think about when you walk in, most people go right and you go to the back and you sit, right? which is where the flat tenants and all the passengers go. For me, I actually walked in and I just instinctively just made that left turn as if to go inside the flight deck. Do pilots have their own language? Yes, we actually do. The reason why is because it actually keeps us all on the same page. So if I'm talking to another pilot and I'm speaking our language, we understand each other and we know exactly what is happening in that moment. Is it international or, or is it different? Well, here's the thing. The universal language for aviation is English. Okay, okay. So all the pilots everywhere in the world, they all have to speak English. Air traffic control from India to Conakry, Guinea, to Johannesburg, to Australia, to France, they all have to speak 
the same one language, which is English. In addition to that, there's also lingo within that language. So one of the big things in aviation is we put a lot of emphasis on safety. When we speak in, we have to be able to be on the same page because it keeps us safe, right, as pilots, so there's no confusion. So let's say I am flying and I am coming into the airport and I'm, I want to land. There are other people that are also flying alongside, you know, in the, in, the, in the vicinity of the airport. So I need to let them know, hey, this is where I am. This is the type of airplane that I'm flying and I'm coming in and this is how I'm going to enter the airport environment to then land. So it will go something like this. Hampton Airport, November 123 Alpha Bravo, five nautical miles to the southwest, maneuvering for the 45, left downwind for runway 24. Hey, Marie, we call that a flex. That's what we call that out here. That's, that's a big flex right there. I'm for that. It's a big flex. Yeah, yes. I guarantee you that any pilot anywhere in the world just understand that right away. Ooh. And it okay. keeps us consistent. It keeps us safe. There's no guessing, right? So there is a document, a book that we actually go by, and it's called the Aeronautical Information Manual. It's literally a manual that has a guide on how to properly communicate, especially with someone like me who has an accent. There is no confusion. And that was an excerpt from the Parker Edison Project podcast with host Parker Edison. You can find it online at kpbs.org or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And that's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.